in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. What's going on guys and welcome to this version, this episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. Super excited to be doing this not only live today on Instagram, so if you're watching it or you're listening to it, that's great, but I'm really excited to have our guest here today, Amanda from Planted Life over on Instagram. Guys, I'll put her uh, details in the show notes below for both the website you have and your um, Facebook, Instagram page. But Amanda, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Good. Um, so, once again, thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy woman these days with your uh, training and life in general, um, so your time is very much appreciated. That's fine. I'm in recovery mode. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah. we're going to go into kind of uh, what, well, in my eyes, ridiculous events, but in <laughs> truly inspiring events uh, that Amanda has done and what's to come. Um, but I kind of want to talk about two angles today, and uh, we're going to talk about kind of the vegan lifestyle mm -hmm. um, or planted or plant-based lifestyle these days, um, but kind of how to kind of work that into, I guess, an ordinary life um, or an athletic life or kind of a high-performance life, whatever it might be, um, and kind of then lean on to some of the, you know, in truly incredible races that you have <laughs> done and uh, what's maybe on the horizon or what you'd like to do. Yep. Um, I'm currently listening to uh, Can't Hurt Me by David uh, Goggins. Yes, yeah, I, bought the, I got delivery of my book yesterday. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, he talks yeah. about some of the ridiculous, um, he did, he's done Blackwater, he's mm. done some of the big ones across America and things like that. So um, I, I look forward to hearing your uh, feedback once you've uh, read through that book. But um, let's just start with origin. Like, where'd you start from? You're a kid from where? And uh, kind of... Yeah, I grew up in Adelaide. So family of, I've got a twin sister, older sister, pretty standard Australian family. Grew up, you know, I, I guess... Uh, pretty uh, standard Australian lifestyle, always outside, riding our bike, had a swimming pool, um, leave home um, in the morning, just make sure you're back at night time, um, would come home to probably to eat. Um, yeah, so just very, I guess, family life, uh, school life, uh, was, very, I guess, participated in any every sport, was a good runner, was a good swimmer. Then I left school and didn't do anything. So, okay. um, yeah, fitness definitely started later for me, I guess, outside of school. But, uh, yeah, it was just a pretty standard lifestyle. Food was standard, meat and three veg. Uh, yeah, so I can't say it was anything out of What was the kind of gap between, like finishing school and finishing exercise in general and then kind of then finding where you are now? What was oh, the well, I guess my exercise after leaving school was probably on the dance floor. So I would I was uh, going out probably Wednesday to Sunday nights clubbing. <laughs> uh, yeah, very different. Uh, it's sort of like I used to get home at 8am, now I'm running at 8am. <laughs> so very different. Um, but I guess I left school... I then went and lived overseas for eight years and then came back uh, to Adelaide, only lived there for another couple of months before moving to Sydney. And I guess in Sydney, I became a bit of a gym junkie. I discovered, uh, I guess, you know, running on a treadmill. Yeah, okay. So that's how I did my running, but I discovered spin classes, yoga pilates and circuit classes. And so I guess it was... Um, late 20s that I started I guess really enjoying being um, challenged or challenging my body and then it wasn't until I was 32 that I did my first sort of 10k road uh, run but prior to that I'd been running on a treadmill okay so, yeah. um just to kind of go back really quickly I didn't know but you lived overseas where, where were you living in, in the UK in London so doing uh, I was working for French Connections so it was um bit of a party environment yeah, right. so yeah I guess I was a bit of a party girl yeah chalk and cheese to now yep. but um yeah eight years working in the center of London living in the east end um yeah just yeah 
drinking lots of beer. (laughs) Um, So you come back to Australia, you move to Sydney. How long did it take you to then move into Melbourne? Uh, We were in Sydney for five years Mm -hmm. and then moved to Melbourne purely to follow, I guess, my passion for food. Melbourne's a bit of a foodie environment, so I wanted to kind of explore that further. We love Sydney, but my husband at my husband was doing, was starting to get on his bike and realised that riding in Sydney, we lived in North Sydney, was just not kind of user friendly. Mm-hmm. So we discovered Beach Road, but uh, yeah, moved to Melbourne and we've been here nine years and kind of loving it. Never it want to suits leave. an active <laughs> lifestyle. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, so obviously you kind of talked about the fact that your standard family, meat and three veg. Um, so let's get straight into kind of, I guess, what this whole you know, podcast today is all about. Where did the, I guess, was it straight into vegan? Was it vegetarian? Did you start eliminating certain things? And like, where did that kind of all transition begin for you? It started when I was about 13. I never liked meat. I found it very difficult to consume, to stomach, to digest. Um, I guess for me... I guess for me, I say a vegetarian and a vegan lifestyle found me purely because my body just, I couldn't digest the, I guess, meats are really fibrous and rough uh, product to digest. So I used to get it stuck in my throat and I never liked milk, smelt funny, eggs were weird because they came from a chicken's butt (laughs) and fish were odd because people peed in the sea. So it was really weird reasons why I started cutting back all of this, um, I guess, animal products. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely, the last meat I ever ate was chicken. Um, My mum allowed me to turn vegetarian at around 13 as long as I cooked. As long as I took responsibility for my meals without, I guess, though my parents were working full time, I had two sisters, we had a cat budgie, but it was, she said, you take responsibility for the way you eat, but don't impact how, I guess, it operates in the household. I'm too busy to worry about that, but I'd go shopping with her every Thursday night where I'd start, you know, and then I started cooking the family meals. So I became the controller of, but I also realised I love cooking and I love food. So I thank my mum for allowing me to, I guess, yeah, take control of how I ate. But yeah, chicken was definitely the last thing I ate and probably cheese, but I never ate too much cheese, although I did love um, baked brie with cranberry sauce. <laughs> so that was good. But yeah, definitely vegetarian for about 15 years. And then it was out of my nephew being lactose intolerant that I then said I will bake him a birthday cake. And I had to look at that from a vegan point of view and realised eggs don't make a cake rise. So egg binds the cake, it doesn't make it rise. So then I added banana or apple sauce or chia. And then I kind of said from there, let's give myself three months of following a full vegan lifestyle. And then after about two months, my husband said, you're never going to eat an animal product again. And he was true. I never did. I never have. So that was now, that was, yeah, 15 15 years ago. Okay, there you go. And it's going to lead into a lot of the questions that we've got coming, but for people who kind of have thought about this or heard about this, and I guess kind of vegetarian and vegan, plant-based, and all that is very much a bigger kind of scene these days as it ever was. So there's many more products that people can get, and I'll ask you about those products because I've always had a gripe of some of them, and I want to to get your kind of two cents on it. But kind of how does someone start? Do they just go, well day one I'll just go three months or one month kind of trialing it or do you kind of say let's get rid of maybe one or two items and kind of slowly going what's your kind of I think for me with anything and it was when I transitioned also to an organic lifestyle as well is and it's I guess now with people adopting a more um, environmental free life well kind lifestyle it's making small steps will make the greatest impact so for me I yep started reducing red meat i then took out chicken i never ate fish in the first place but it's it's looking at a day and going okay what can i change today that's going to make a greater impact so instead of putting dairy milk in my coffee a do i need milk in my coffee well if i do there's soy oat nut 
all of the different options of milk. So then, and then you start looking at, well, how I kind of get people to say, write down what you eat in a day and how much of that is from an animal origin because we don't eat animal products all the time. Yep. So it's, yeah, just start by making small changes and that makes the greatest impact. If we look at it and go, oh, I'm never going to eat bacon for the rest of my life, it's overwhelming. It's like if you look at a marathon, if I'm going to do 42 kilometres, that's overwhelming. But what, you just break it down and that's what I say, small chunks, you're going to get there. So that's that's what I how I viewed it all and, and then you start, I guess, taking more responsibility for the foods you're eating. You look at ingredients. Well, why does that biscuit have skim milk in it? Why does it need skim milk? And then it's like, well, yeah, I can, I can have a cake in it. And yeah, you realize that it's the simple things. Eggs don't make a cake rise. So what, what, what's it there for? So there's always an alternate, but yeah, start small and that will be your greatest, um, yeah. You'll, you'll stick at it. Yeah, great. Um, so I kind of alluded to it before in that I think kind of, I say in quote diets, just for lack of a better word, but diets kind of tend, as far as I've seen them, kind of tend to follow a very similar pathway in that veganism gets introduced to the world and it's like the very very original people kind of who kind of were starting on it, it was all, let's eat more plants. Yeah. Having more plants in our life is good. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And Absolutely, we should be eating more plants. But then kind of the evolution of all diets, not just veganism, like paleo and a caveman yeah. and things like this, then marketers get a hold of it. And then they want to kind of create a vegan product, which I feel just starts getting away from the original idea of what kind of being plant-based is all about. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on some of the products you may have come across that you think, yes, this is vegan, but this is terrible. And the flip side is, wow, this is awesome that this is now available yeah. and is helping this kind of cause or kind of um, getting people more interested in the idea. Yeah, I think it's kind of two different types of, I guess, vegans or plant-based eaters. And, and I guess it's with everything. There's, you know, the, the vegans who are the activists and who, you know, will, I guess, uh, shun you for even shopping at a place that supports anything to do with, animal exploitation or um you know they won't shop at major supermarkets because they stock you know meat and and all of that and then but i kind of use the kindest side of it which is plant-based which is what my diet is but i also think it's when we're moving to this sort of lifestyle and it's a lifestyle as opposed to a diet because the diet to me says there's a start and a stop mm -hmm. whereas a lifestyle is you're adopting this and and lifestyle there's so many chapters and journeys so you know we you know if we muck up and end up having cheese one afternoon then that's that's okay mm -hmm. like don't you know we stop and start again but um i guess the fake meat products concern me in the sense that we're still saying that that's a staple of our food habits and I believe that, you know, our food, especially in a Western diet, as I said, I grew up with meat and three veg. But when we look at a vegan schnitzel or a vegan patty, we're still saying that's the main star of our plate. Yeah. Whereas I'm saying, ha, huh, no, that's like, we vegetables have had enough being the supporting role. They want to be the main star. So that's what you, you let them... So we just got to look at our plates differently and how we serve food. Like, you know, it's like we say bread makes us feel full. But that's kind of what we're constantly told. So I think part of it is we've got to, we've got to block out the marketing conversations that go on and go, well, how does this food make me feel? And, and yeah, I want to eat more plants, but it doesn't mean a bowl of kale and, you know... <laughs> You know, a, a, a thing like that. Sure, that's a predominant part of, um, well, that's a predominant part of my diet, but you may hate kale. Like, so you've got spinach or, but there's millions of like sort of plant foods. But I, I think there's me who purely celebrates plants and vegetables and fruits and grains. And then there's the other side of that people, they still want to have that meaty, I guess, texture and yep. taste. But they don't want to, I guess, have the downside of 
animal eating animal the products. So yeah, the so that's yeah. where Beyond Meats and um, those sort of fake foods ha- hold their own. But you also look at it from an environmental point of view. Well, it's still a manufactured product. So yep. there's so many elements to diets. But I think the way I look at it, just more plants, more plants, more grains, more beans, more lentils. And, you know, that's that's the basis of my diet. I definitely don't need to look at my plate and go, oh, there's something missing. Like I'm <laughs> missing a sausage or bacon, you know, egg and bacon in the morning. Like that's that's no longer the way I view my plate. But it's, yeah, it's give yourself time to change habits Mm -hmm. because you know habits start from a very early age you know I grew up going to the butcher and with my mum and the butcher would hand me over a piece of fritz which is a very Adelaide thing um what's a fritz who knows what it is it's it's (laughs) like a thing of what of I guess it's like yeah it's like a salami or a crab stick no one actually knows what's in there (laughs) but you know that it was like you always eat meat you grew up in school going you need milk for calcium like but these are industries telling us yep. this so yeah it's an interesting point you you bring up before in that i think so many of us no matter what diet or lifestyle you go to people always focus on the things that you can't have anymore yep. and they're actually really small in comparison yep. to the things that you can have and i was only just scrolling through instagram as i do far too much anyway but i was scrolling through instagram today and it was some the person that was posted and it was kind of like, don't do this, but do this. And she was holding a plate of the things you now can't have. And it was, you know, chips and burgers and da da. But on the other page, it was the things you can have. And it was, you know, all the different fruits and vegetables and meats mm. and whatever it kind of over. And I think that's a really good point that you bring up in that when people might be thinking about transitioning into plant-based or vegetarian or thing, I think, again, they just focus too much on the, oh, oh but I'm never going to have this again. But it's like, but look at all the other things you now get yeah. to add into your life or have more of. So and, it, and if you're transitioning, it's like, well, maybe you just say to yourself, I'm just going to have bacon on a, on a Saturday. Or I'm going to have it, if you have it, if you break it down and go, well, how many times do I actually have it? And then cut it by a little bit. And then next month by a little bit more. So you just set yourself mini goals and eventually kind of realise you don't need it anymore yep. but i guess it's like understanding why you're doing it in the first place are you doing it for i guess uh how we produce food are you doing it for health is it for your health reasons so all of these things you've got to have an understanding of why you're doing it and that mo- motivates you mm. more but i think anything with food habits whether it be skipping breakfast all of this stuff is it takes a bit of time and it takes a bit of talking too. So I, I kind of say for me when I went, uh, changed over into an organic lifestyle, it took me eight years yep. to sort of change, uh, you know, using more environmentally friendly household products, cleaning, yeah, like um, bin liners and shampoos and soaps and, you know, it's massive. So I didn't say, I've got to do this all today and yep. if I don't, I'm a failure. It's like, I had a did it over eight years and then I go geez like I actually made some really good lifestyle habits so yeah just yeah it's a matter of just going well, how much do I actually have it in the first place and then you realize you actually don't miss it's not it. as much no. yeah and then you realize with manufacturing of food is why do they put all this shit in the food in the first place like, <laughs> yeah very crazy true. well I mean anyone who's read my book um knows of my seven diets in seven weeks that I went through and one of them was I went a very strict vegetarian um, for a week. And I found that over the last, because of that experience, and for anyone who's now listening in, you're obviously a client of mine. And so I've been yep. um, you know, talking to you for years about this. And it's always interested me. I can tell you now I'm never going to give up meat. Yep. I love it. I enjoy it. And it feels good in me anyway. But I can 100% say that my meat you know, consumption has drastically reduced yep. um, over the years. Primarily for two reasons. Um, one, from what you're saying, we just don't need as much as we're being told to. And I'm, I love experimenting on myself. I like, mm. okay, well, I want to test that. If they say that we don't need as much, well, let me do that. And does my body composition massively change? Do yeah. I massively get tired? Do I get affected by a whole lot? And a lot of the stuff I used to promote was kind of having that two to two and a half grams per kilogram of mm. body weight, 
which for most people is 150 kind of plus grams of protein a day, which one is very difficult to get that much in yep. in a plant-based life. But for two, <laughs> you just don't need it for majority of yep. people. Um, but the other one I did do it from is more of a environmental kind of standpoint in mm. that we clearly are eating far too much livestock yep. these days. It's killing a lot of our um, environments and things like that. Um, and so that was the second part of me. So, I mean, I, like like you were saying, in that I personally now have two days a week where I'm plant-based yep. as much as I can yeah. be. Um, there's certainly no meat in that, but there might be some cheese or something yep. like that. Um, and I certainly don't have any ill effects. Do I feel massively better? No, but I don't have a a, a backwards kind of yeah. thing. And so yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, personal, my personal. So I think from your takeaway message and I guess from what I've just said there, I think most people that... One, you probably can absolutely reduce what you're currently eating yep. in regards to meat-based products. If you then want to go down the route of, well, you know, I really want to kind of do something for my environment and things like that, you can't go wrong by eating more plants. Mm. So, mm. Um, yeah. And I think uh, we, I don't know, we get really we get really sort of focused on, and as you said earlier, what we can't have. And it's just like, wow. Like, but that's because we get stuck in our habits. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy. So sometimes to think about food can be really difficult for some people. And, and, I, and I understand with regards to, you know, we work full time, we travel, we've got to exercise, we've got kids, dogs, you know, whoever to look after. So sometimes food is uh, secondary, but food is what fuels us, is, is what's going to get us up in the morning. It's going to get us moving. So, you know, I say, why don't we... We've got to look at the most nutrient-dense food. And, and what is that? It's generally plants. Yep. Like, you know, everyone has, you know, we're on this thing about too much sugar. It's like, yeah, but fruit's fine. Like, that's not added sugar. Yeah. So, And that's from nature. Like, don't slam nature for what she's doing because what she's doing is actually pretty amazing. So when we stop and think about the origin of our food, and this is the way I look at my food, where's my food coming from is it coming from a packet from a supermarket shelf that if you really break it down and look at the manufacturing of food it's it's yeah there's a beautiful picture on the outside of the box but when you go and have a look at how it's yeah it's like oh god um and it's you know the same with you know i support uh, i'm you know sure i'm pro plants but I'm also pro getting people to think more about where their food comes from. Like, don't go to, you know, buy a ethically sourced meat if you're going to eat any yep. meat. Like, you know, of course, you know, there's that side of it, which is that mm, cruelty to animals. But, you know, it's also, okay, that's the reality of... This is a reality of where we are. Um, but just think more about origin of your food and that's sort of the basis of my plant-based diet as well is what's the journey of this food and what's gone into it and what are the ingredients because with, I guess, which we'll get onto is my endurance lifestyle requires me to eat the best quality food so I can function. Yeah. Well, um, let's just go straight into kind of before we talk about your uh, endurance endeavours what's a typical day like you get up and you're training really early you're training really late whatever it might be what's a typical kind of day of food from go to woe uh so when i'm in uh, so i'm in recovery mode at the moment after doing a 100k race two weeks ago so i go into a bit more of a yeah i go into a bit more of a fasting so my first i don't eat until around one o'clock in the afternoon and that is generally a i guess it's a protein pack smoothie um and then filled with filled so it's got um oat milk bananas maca powder beetroot powder asahi cacao nibs uh chia seeds hemp seeds peanut butter hemp protein and I think that's about all that I pack into it. It's a thick looking uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Are you eating it or can you actually drink it? (laughs) I sip it. Yeah, yeah. It can be as thick as I want it to be but uh, yeah, it's it's 
substantial. Yep. Like, and it's, um, so yeah, I have that around in, in anywhere between 12 or 1. Are you still currently tracking your calories no, at all? No. Not really? No. I'd just be interested to kind of know how many was in too hard. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I could track that because that same ingredients goes in every, yep. every time. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't have a clue what it had in it. Um, and then afternoon snack, I'll, you know, have some fruit and then dinner kind of is my main meal. And, and that can be, so last night for dinner, we had, uh, tacos, which was filled with, um, tofu, black beans, avocado, like a guacamole, lettuce and, um, vegan cheese. Sounds great. So, yeah. So I actually don't eat a huge amount um but yeah more so when i'm say if I'm, I'm training i was going to say what's the transition so if so i'm training like? and generally in the morning it can be a training session anywhere between 30 minutes and two hours depending on what it is i don't eat before i train and that's something i've deliberately done over years of that didn't just sort of happen i've trained my body that i actually don't if I've eaten well the night before, I don't need to massively eat yep. in the morning before training. So I will when I do a race, I'll eat before a race, but training I won't eat. What's the longest, just to sorry, get off topic for a bit, what's the longest training you have done without eating before? Uh, about four hours. And did you eat anything during that race? Apart no, from maybe some no, sort of No, I would have just or... had water or elect water and electrolytes, but the electrolytes don't have any calories. Yep. So yeah, yeah. And Interesting. Uh, I'm fine. Um, but generally, if I'm in training mode, I'll come back from that training session and have a bowl of porridge. So I love my porridge with coconut yogurt and berries. And then a mid-morning snack will be hummus on rice cakes with carrot sticks, which kind of sounds quite cliche for a vegan, <laughs> but that, that's what it is. Yep. Um, or half an avocado, and then, you know, lunch will probably be leftovers, whether that be a pasta or, you know, rice and beans, and then dinner can, you know, sort of, I guess, favourite dinners are brown rice, tofu with a satay sauce and sauteed greens. So, um, yeah, there is a difference between recovery eating and training eating, so... But at the moment, I can afford to be a bit leaner on calories mm -hmm. because, you know. And you're probably not as hungry anyway. You're uh, definitely yeah. <laughs> not as hungry. Although sometimes, oh yeah, I think you train your body to eat as well. So, yep. um, but I think it's, you know, I guess for me, yep, the smoothie's pretty nutritionally dense. And then I'll have, you know, I'm having them, you know, medicinal mushroom drinks, which is like having a stock and that's kind of quite warming. And so it's like you know, having a miso soup or something, mm -hmm. it's still, you know, there's still some calories there. So, yeah, yeah, I look at food, I guess, more from nutrients as opposed to calories. Yep. And that seems Perfect. to be working. Yeah, and I mean, the only reason I kind of asked um, that question in regards to do you eat more when training, things like that, is that I'm on a big push these days to so just people, because I get asked 100 times a day, Adam, what should be my fasting window? Like, I, I, I stopped yep. eating at 8 o'clock last night, when should I start? And I'm like... To begin with, I understand that people need rules, like yeah, people yeah, like like I need no. Yep. Um, but you should absolutely start getting to this kind of place where you're just listening to your body. Mm. Our bodies really talk quite loudly, yeah. and if you drown it out, that's clearly you're not going to kind of get its messages. But yeah. um, I'm quite under the weather at the moment, and yesterday all my body wanted was strawberries. It was screaming for <laughs> um, you know vitamin C yeah. and things like that. So I just couldn't eat enough strawberries yesterday, and that could have been interpreted as I need something sweet. So you could have very easily gone yep. and just like, I just need chocolate kind yep. of thing. But no, if you actually listen to the body properly, it's saying, give me something nutrient. I yeah. need nu nutrients or vitamins and minerals and things like that. And so um, a big message I want to get out of that is for people listening at home and you're watching in here, um, just start listening to your body. Yep. Like if you're training more, clearly you're going to need more food, but not necessarily need, but you're, kind of, you're going to want more food. Your yeah. body's going to ask for that. So. And, and it's that... Um Michael Pollan, who's an American farmer, he was, and he wrote a book going, um, he, he wrote the food rules and one of them was, if you're not hungry for an apple, you're not hungry at all. So, yeah. you know, so if you, if you say to me, oh, I'm hungry, and you hear it all the time with kids and, you know, it's like, oh, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. It's like, have an apple. And they're like, oh, I don't want an apple. <laughs> and it's like, but you said you were hungry. 
but like in their head they're saying no i want a baker salad cheese and vegemite scroll or you know we just feed these kind of carbs and going well carbs make you full it's like no nutrients make you full so we've just got to it's just as you get we've got to listen to ourselves and we've just got to think differently and that's our approach to you know we'll think i just want something you know packet of chips is you know yeah way more attractive than you know an apple yeah, an apple or <laughs> rice cake or, or something. And it's like, but, you know, rice cake with peanut butter and jam is pretty amazing. Like, But you just, you re, you're constantly recalibrating your taste buds. Yep. And that's what it's about. So see it as a journey. And, and that's, yeah, that's the food fun, the fun part. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's get straight into what I'm more interested about because I'm, I'm doing a lot more reading on you know, ultra distance stuff at the moment because, you know, the pinnacle of sport years ago was either the marathon <laughs> yeah. or the Hawaiian Ironman. <laughs> yeah. And these days they're kind of just like, oh, that's all you've done yeah, kind of like thing. A, oh, a just a warm run. up, yeah, yeah, just a training run kind of thing. So um, I've read a lot of, like, Rich Roll um, has done a lot of, you know, the longer distance yep. stuff. And now obviously I'm listening to David Goggins and some other guys um, who are doing some pretty extreme kind of events. Mm. Um, where did, I mean, you said you were running as a kid and enjoyed yeah. kind of, was that like like athletics or was it just I loved running outside oh well, that like, was at school so yeah I definitely didn't do any sort of athletics outside of school but obviously school you have your house teams and and there was four of us that were kind of the stronger you know in my year were you know really strong runners and and my dad was a marathon runner and so you know I grew up in a my dad started running when he had twins at 30 and I just think I wonder why dad did we just want to like get out of the house were we too loud um so yeah always grew up so uh, watching dad do his marathons on a Sunday morning get in the car let's go support dad yep. and um but yeah it was it wasn't until yeah I guess 30 age 32 that I was just sort of it was a means to get to work I was in my car one day looking around going oh god like and this is all part of the journey of changing my life you're in Sydney at the moment I was in yep. Sydney and I was driving over the Sydney Harbour Bridge and I looked around and went I'm a single person sitting in a car adding to this congestion what am I doing I work 11 k's from home to work what's my other option catch the train to work run home and that's what I did and my first, I think it took me about three months to run the 11 Ks without walking. So it was run, walk, run, walk. And then I ran it all the way one day. I reckon it took me about three months. And I was so excited. And then I was like, I'm gonna enter a half marathon. And my husband was like, you haven't properly trained for it. I was like, I'll be fine. And then, so how, how long after oh, that I reckon then, was that it, that was probably, oh, I don't know. I don't know, maybe a year. Yeah, maybe a year. And I, I ran the half marathon. It took me one hour 57. So I did it under that elusive two hours yep. that people want to do it in. I was so sore. My hips were <laughs> sore. My knees were sore. But that was conditioning. I wasn't yep. conditioned. And then I was like, okay. And then, of course, everyone says when you do a half marathon, when are you doing a marathon? And it's like, just let yeah. me like enjoy this half marathon. But it took me six years from doing the half marathon to do a full marathon okay and where was the first marathon in melbourne melbourne marathon yep, then. melbourne yep. marathon i did it in three hours 32 so yeah how much training uh, was that I mean... was a 16 week training plan i okay. did yep. yeah yeah so that was dedicated training um, with a coach or did you write that up yourself or? no it was actually my osteo who wrote me a plan or helped me kind of um uh, it was a plan written by a guy called Hal Higdon, which is a South African guy. And, um, yeah, so it kind of helped me put this plan together, and I loved it. Yep. I, I just had the best experience ever. I can't remember half of it because I was just zoned out, and but I was just like, uh, this is the best thing ever. I mean, anyone who's done a marathon, and I've I've done personally two, and my two have been horrible days i can remember every single step from 33 kilometers onwards um everyone has their ups and downs kind of yeah. in that in that very first one i mean you've done a phenomenal time 
um, through there. Were there kind of, I mean, you said you can't remember much from it, but like, were there times of kind of, this is a tough day, this is no, or was no, it just pure elation the whole way through? pure elation. Absolutely loved what I was doing. Yeah. And was that the moment then? Was that the hook moment? Like, no, I'm in that out. was, uh, I guess it was like, oh, all right, that was kind of good. All right, let's sort of, um, you know, let's sign up to do it next year. It's not like I then went, okay, what's the next marathon? I'm going to do that. It was like, okay, let's, you know, do it next year. And then I had a, um, a guy who lived around the corner from us, Craig Percival, and he... Yeah, we just used to say hi all the time and then we found out more about his story and he was an endurance runner and athlete and... and Let's not glaze over him too quickly. And I know he's yeah. a very special person to you. I won't go into to it too much. But he did eight Ironmans yep. in eight days across Australia. Yeah. Like, for anyone who's done <laughs> any kind of training for an Ironman as it is, and I grew up my, watching my dad do Ironman triathlons. Yeah. I know how much training went into that, but to do eight of them in a row across the country, like, because you were there to support... Yeah, yeah, went to yourself. Adelaide and, yeah, did Melbourne and obviously, yeah, just that whole eight days was taken up by watching him do this massive sort of endurance feat. But, yeah, he'd done sort of Ultramans, which is a three-day, I guess it's like triple Ironman in over three yeah. days. And, um, and, yeah, so he was a phenomenal... I, I guess physically a phenomenal athlete, but mentally he was yep. a phenomenal athlete. So I think you look at, I then, I guess that's where he saw something. It all It's always about the company you keep. And there is always someone that changes you. And there's always someone that sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. So uh, I guess through training, then my husband and I started with, found out he was a coach so we started training with him and then hearing all these stories and then being involved in in him planning eight Ironmans in eight days in eight states it's just like what but then that became normal yeah. like that conversation became normal because they were the sort of people we were hanging around with sure. so we normalized this I guess craziness of distances because that was our everyday conversation so that's the beauty of, I guess, consistency and and time is that it just becomes familiar and that's no different to a lifestyle diet, it's no different to habit. Time is your, you know, what is your best friend. Um, so yeah, he was an absolute massive influence and still is a ma massive influence. So Craig passed away about two years ago, um, having a heart attack from complications from a knee operation. Um, so there's that devastating side where I no longer have my greatest mentor, but at the same point, he's with me for every race because he saw something in me that I never saw in myself. So that drives me every day to go, what else can I do? What else can I do now? So he encouraged me. I was turning 40 and I was like, well, I don't want to just go to Bali and drink cocktails. That's a bit boring. I'll run a hundred kilometers because that's what he'd done the year before in the Blue Mountains, and I was just like, "All right." He he could talk to me about the race, which was you know. So what was that first hundred that you were doing? What was so it that was at the time it was North Face. Now it's uh, Ultra Trail Australia. So a hundred k's through the Blue Mountains, starting in Katoomba. So he was able to tell me about the race, how I can really prepare for it. So I was like, "That's my first one I'm going to do." So um, and. I kind of did that 100k race and realised that's my sweet spot. There you go. The race took me 17 and a half hours, so by no means was it <laughs> quick. Um, but I realised oh, I just love that space. Like the first marathon, was that first 100 all elation or were there ups oh, and downs? Oh, I don't know if you can say 100k is ever elation. <laughs> Uh, it was just a race where I learned a lot. My headlamp, because I ran into the night, my headlamp went on me with 15Ks to go towards the end, which meant I was running in the dark. I didn't have a backup. The backup failed. Well, I did have a backup. The backup failed. So there were a few rookie mistakes that happened. Um, so that delay, that added on to the time. But as far as getting through that race on nutrition 
and physically feeling good, yeah, I felt good because A, I've trained and B, I understood my nutrition. Two things. What's the kind of prep time for a 100K race? For someone who's, I guess, been running for a while and decides, yeah, I'm now going to do... What, what's the kind of training Yeah, kind you do of about block? three months of solid, uh, I guess, dedicated training for that race and that every race has its different profile, its different elevation, its difference whether it has stairs, you know, technical descents. So three months gives you enough time to train on what the terrain is going to be like and it also gives you enough time to train your zoning on your nutrition, train with your pack, train with all your mandatory gear, train with your clothing, your shoes, all of that. So there's a lot that goes into it if you're trying to... You can control a lot in a 100k race. There's a lot you can't, yep. but you worry about what you can control. Of course. Three months gives you a good time to do okay. that. Um, and then talk about nutrition on the day. Like, I mean, 100 kilometers now, 100 kilometers now, 100 kilometers, you're going to need some sort of nutrition yeah, along that. So, so what's it kind of, what do you take? Um, a lot of people, you know, you see them scattered across marathons. These are little goo packs are just everywhere. Yeah. What's your nutrition and what do you kind of normally go to? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting that at any endurance race, you will go to an aid station and, and it looks like a junk food bar. Like there is chips, lollies, yeah, there may be the occasional fruit in the corner there. There's fruit bread, there's, you know, but it's mainly chips and lollies and Coke. Salt, sugar. And yeah, yeah. Coke's more sugar. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not gonna have I mean, yeah, they have a fruit bun and all of that, but you're not gonna you're not gonna have something that's gonna take you a long time to digest or anything like that. But the first hundred K race that I did, I had food coming out of my ears. Like I was I had sandwiches, I had roast potatoes at the aid stations, I had like, you know... And do you put that on the aid station for you? So I it... carried some potatoes on me, depends where the aid stations are, depending on how much food I had to carry myself. Um, you've always, these races are about being self-sufficient, but your aid stations are positioned enough in order to refill your water, refill fuel your fuel at the same with these races you don't want to carry too much weight on you mm -hmm. so that's where aid stations come in handy you can then just restock um but yeah i ate a lot of food and i guess as i've i'd use i'd have um rice puddings with coconut milk and uh, yeah uh, two-minute noodles and sandwiches like it and I, then i sort of as i was getting through this i was like be, I need to be a little bit more efficient with my A, carrying of food and is there a better way to intake calories? And that's where those gels come in handy because you know in one gel packet there's 30 grams of carbohydrates and that's what I need every 45 minutes to 60 minutes. So there is a formula for how much calories you need and how many carbohydrates you need and those gels are pretty revolting in their taste and definitely you don't have them every day but they serve a purpose and yep. they serve the purpose of getting calories in quick carbohydrates in quick and eliminating weight that you're carrying on you so sure. now if i do a 100k race i will fuel purely on gels water and coke alone is that right because mm -hmm. i mean last time i guess we spoke in uh, before i left yep. for france i very much heard the kind of you know, I had sandwiches and yep. potatoes and yep. I didn't so know if that you it's kind a, of... if it's a race that has under 3,000 metres of elevation, then I know I can get through that race purely on gels and sugar alone. So I can, so at the tail end of the, you know, from about 60Ks, I'll start having cans of Coke. Um, anything that's over 3,000 metres elevation, so the race I did two weeks ago, which had uh, almost 6,000 metres of elevation. On course, yes, I had Vegemite sandwiches, I had roast potatoes because I'm just burning way more fuel. Yep. I'm using way more energy. So I have to assess how much fuel I'm going to be burning over the course of the race. Do you like ascending or descending more? Ah, uh, ascending. Ascending. I, again, more and more I hear of these races. And like a lot of these ultra distance races, they're not just on a flat road. They're normally in a, yeah. a mountainous region yeah. somewhere or something like that. And 
not one person has ever said that, <laughs> you know what, descending's awesome. You just have to roll down oh, the hill. Some but... people are amazing at it. I'm like, oh, my God. But I know for me in a race, I will be conservative on a down, on a descent because it's not my strong point. I still work on it every weekend. I will throw myself down a, a side of a mountain, a hill, because you cannot shy away from your weaknesses. Yep. But I'm realistic in the sense it isn't my strength. So my strength is hiking the shit out of that hill and I will pass. Anyone who passes me on a downhill, I'm guaranteed to pass them when yeah. we're going up. So you you got to work to where your weaknesses are. So there's been a few hundred plus, or they're mostly hundred. So I've now done nine hundred k races in the past four years. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm almost forty four. So yeah, in the last yeah four years, I've done nine hundred k races and won a hundred and eighty two k race. Is that? Is that a just completely different beast or it's yeah. just now I've just got to do more of what I've already been doing? I think for me, I, I've got to be careful. I find 100K is quite a comfortable race purely because I love that distance. So I feel very comfortable. It scares me, don't get me wrong. I go into those races and I the morning of I can't swallow and I'm all sort of like, I feel sick. But the I'm moment a, the gun goes, does that all disappear? Yeah, or, yeah, because yeah, yeah. yes. Well, actually, the minute I put my clothes on and I, I go into, I guess, what I call battle. So most of my 100K races are in the mountains, so I wear things like calf guards and I'm always got a pack on. So to me, I'm going into battle. So I become the warrior and you, are you, yeah, you, a lot of people talk about this do we create a second sort of I guess ego for ourselves and mine is right I'm going to battle right I, I feel strong I'm I'm confident that I can do this um but yeah when I'm getting ready I'm like oh no I've got to eat breakfast but oh, I can't get it down and you know oh, I've got to go to the toilet again and um all of those things so yeah 100ks I feel very comfortable with uh next year I this year I was planning on doing a hundred miler. That's um, yeah, I'm doing just under. I'm going to do a hundred and fifty-five k. That's in November, but Which um, one's that, one? that is the Alpine Challenge in Falls Creek. Mm -hmm. So another big elevation gain race, and then next year hopefully I'll do hundred mile in France. So. Um, Hundred miles scare me. They're a completely different beast. Okay, and that's a whole another podcast. Like yeah. they are. Um, yeah, you have to really think about those races because you've got to think about whether you choose to sleep or whether you push on through. Um, and fueling becomes way more important. Yes, yeah. I mean the guy, as I said, alluded to before, David Goggins, in that um, he tried to get into black water, but there's a very stringent kind of you got to prove this and X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, but he was able to, on three weeks of training, because the guy said to him, show me that you can do over 100 miles. Um, and he said, well, how do I do that? And he says, well, in three weeks, there's the 24-hour San Francisco loop. And it was a 1K or one mile kind yes, of loop. Let's go around, 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 around. And he said, all right, done. I'll go and do that. And with no training, like yeah. he's a Navy SEAL, like he's got some fitness there, yeah. obviously. But no training of running. He's six foot one. He's 195 pounds. So he's a big, solid mm. guy. Wet and run. 100 miles in 22 point something hours or whatever the yeah, kind of yeah. Um, yeah, um, cutoff was for the 24 hours. Goes back to the guy and said, well, I did it, so where's my entry now? Kind of thing. He said, well, no, that just allows you to put the application in kind of thing. But in the end, he does get into the black water. Yeah. Which, I mean, you tell me because you know more about this. From what this guy says, it's considered probably the kind of pinnacle of um, yeah, ultra that, distance kind of runs. It's are, one of those ones up and there. And it's one of the hardest purely because you bring in heat into it as well. You bring in open roads and you bring in heat. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he said that the first 42 miles is in Death Valley. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, over 50 degrees heat yeah. by the time you're kind of finishing yeah. it. And then just huge elevation. So once you've done that, you think, cool, 42 miles, but it's a 135-mile race. Yeah. You've then so, got to go in the mountains. Oh, and <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah. there's so many different elements to races. And there's that, you know, they have 24-hour races around a 400-metre athletics track. And, you know, then you've obviously got the alpine running, sky running. You know, there's so many different elements to, you know, there's different elements to any sort of physical activity that you do. 
but what you've got to figure out for yourself is physically can I do it but mentally is it going to break me and yep. do I have the mental capacity to do it so I kind of believe you can grow mental capacity but you've got to be strong enough to know you can do it in the first place that's a really really good point because i'm the first to admit that i'm very in a race situation very mentally weak yep. the moment i start to have a negative thought i'm done like yep. i know i am i can't break that and but i've gotten better at it just like trying to grow bicep muscles the more bicep curls you do the bigger your biceps get yeah i think the more times you put yourself into uncomfortable uncharted yeah. territories just pushes that kind of barrier of kind of what you can mentally kind of um, I guess endure and kind of maybe bring yourself out of or go beyond or whatever. Completely, and we and we do that with we do that with food. We take the easy option. We get takeaways. We buy microwave meals. We, you know, we buy packaged food because you know what we don't have to think about it. So, for me, doing these endurance races puts me in an opportunity where a I've got to call upon some survival skills. I'm gonna be without food or run out of water before I get to an aid station so I've got to train for that as well I've got to but the whole thing is like I'm not gonna die straight away and you know I'm not gonna you know we we're too comfortable in this society we are oh god I'm I'm thirsty oh there's a vending machine oh I'm hungry I'll go around to the 7-eleven like we we have food at every angle and we never put ourselves through starvation because we're in abundance yeah and and I, I kind of think with my food my lifestyle and I guess that's why my I guess I call it the planted life is it's it's kind of everything it, it is to do with that mind body food like we body I'm fueled purely by plants mind well, yeah, it all fuels me and food, that's what I eat. But I also understand the, I guess, mechanism to kind of say, oh, my stomach's grumbling a little bit. And I don't rush for food straight away. It's like, you know what, it's okay to be a bit hungry. Yeah. Like, that's fine. But we're just not used to it. No, not these we've days. we've totally desensitised ourselves from those feelings because everything's at our beck and call. And you can. And you can. Yeah. So when you're, when I, you know, out doing endurance running, one of the things I love the most is a the isolation, but b you know what? Like in the race that I did two weeks ago, Oscar's Hut to Hut, which raises money for autism or awareness for autism as well, is it's through the Alpine region and and it's brutal. Like it is a tough, tough race. But I'm self-sufficient. I have to, I don't, I went out there and did that race. I didn't have a support crew or anything like that. I had to do that race in under 22 hours. And um, yeah, it was tough. And, but you know what? I did that all on my own. Like I had the aid stations to fill up my water, but I didn't have any food from them because I had it all on me. So you learn to be self-sufficient and Mm. that's kind of, that's survival in a way. Yeah. So, what's the goal? What's I mean, if you could go into any race tomorrow and you'd get your entry form for it, what would you love to race? Yeah, so Western States Endurance Run, the 100 miler in California is my, yeah. Is why my, is it your... I don't vehicle? know why. I don't know. There's just... I have no idea because it's a hot race and I hate the heat. Um, but I guess it's a, it's a prestigious run and that's why they're so hard to get into. Yeah. They've now become prestigious. So Western States and UTMB, uh, both hundred mile races. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I didn't get into them this year. I do qualifying races so I can get into them. So my race schedule every year is centered around getting into these two races. Is there a kind of formula of if you do X, Y, and Z, then you put yourself at the top of the list for those? Or no, is it no, you just got to get points. So, well, Western States, you just got to do qualifying races. UTMB is harder. You've got to get 15 points. And to get those 15 points for me this year is 200K races and... A hundred miler. So it's a lot of running just to do another big run. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, <laughs> it is, it is. But you know, it's and sometimes I think, oh God, where you know, where were the days where I just went out and ran? Yep. But I still do. I still go out and run because 
I love running, but what I love more is accountability, pushing, hurting, and working towards something because that's kind of satisfying. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, my goal is the, the sub one hour 40 half yeah. marathon. Um, I've documented it twice and failed at it twice. I've tried it on numerous occasions. I think I've now up to 50 plus half marathons. A lot of them were just, I just yeah. going here to yeah. do it. I did them with clients and things like that yeah. over the years. Um, but my running is for me now in events. I don't want to run with clients anymore because mm, mm. a lot of them want to go under that two hours and actually doing one hour 58 in a half marathon for me just destroys my body. Like yeah. it's, it's too slow. Yeah. It, it just hammers it my hips. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I did a big, I call it a failure. At the end of the day, I didn't kind of qualify. And anyone who's seen my Instagram saw me burst into tears on the finish line with my phone in hand, kind of, oh, let's let you all down, guys. I didn't do it. And I was at you know, an hour 42 or something. So it was a yeah. PB the yeah. year before I was one hour 43 or something. And that one I knew I wasn't going to, yeah. I hadn't done the training. Whereas this one, convinced I was going to hit that time. All my training times and everything yeah. said I was going to. But you can't, as you said, you can't control everything. And on the day... It was a 40 kilometer hour headwind and it was yep. 27 degrees on yep. the day and everything I'd been training in was eight degrees because yeah. that's Melbourne and then yeah. you know Melbourne and in October it could be a 30 degree day yeah. or it could be four degrees. So. But that's like I always say, goals don't have an expiry date. So for me, my I guess one of my biggest goals was to do UTA in under um, 14 hours. The first year I did it in 17 and a half. The second year I did it in 16 and a half. The third year I did it in 14 hours and 30 seconds. <laughs> the fourth year... That's got to hurt. It hurt. Yeah. <laughs> it hurt. But you know what? The next year I went and did it in 13 hours and 20 minutes. So, yeah. you know, it's like I just... I could have after the first year gone... All right, goal not achieved, done. But you know what? It's like our food habits, it's in, in fitness goals. You just keep going back because you just don't give up. A really kind of good point I heard, and the best thing about, I think, this current book I'm reading that you said you just had delivered, the audio version, there's a lot of podcast in it. Like he talks yes. about certain things. And one of the things he brought up, which kind of goes straight to that, in that just because you failed X doesn't mean you're a failure. No. In that you failed at that one very small thing that you tried to do, whether that's your diet, whether that's going for a big run or whatever it might be, but that doesn't mean that your entire life is a failure. It's just that no. you're, and we're all the hard, harshest critics in that Completely. the rest of the world couldn't care less that you no. didn't achieve your goal, even though you think that the whole world now <laughs> thinks that you're a failure. But you failed at one little thing. And yeah. as you said, no expiry date. Go and do it yeah. again if that really means that but much you to you. Try and... You learnt something greater yep. about yourself. You learnt resilience. You, you learnt determination. You learnt, let's reassess goals. Like, let's, what do I What do I have to do next time? So, yeah. We, and as you, say, you know, as I say, the world keeps turning. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's like, and if someone's dark on you for you not reaching your goal... Yeah. Hold on, yeah, like, exactly. hang on, like, you know. Most of them are probably I'm, sitting in a couch at home. Kind completely. Of, yeah. <laughs> if I'm accepting of that, then, you know, that that's fine. So, and as you say, when you go out and run, it's about you. And it, you know, I always say in, endurance running, any running, you have to have support of the people around you because they're the ones that are going to say, Adam, have you done your long run today? And you go, oh, I didn't get back home till late on Saturday night. I, you know, I didn't have anything to eat in the morning, and it's like then you sit back and go, "That's just excuses." Yep. Like you know, why didn't you get out there? And and you say, "Cause I didn't feel like it." Well, be honest with yeah. yourself. Say you didn't feel like it. But the greatest thing is we have people to help us be accountable. But then we, you go out there on the day, and it's all about you. Yep. Like I, I used to kind of say to a lot of my friends on course, don't if someone engages into a conversation with you during the run, you just say, yeah, hi, how are you going? Yeah, yeah, having a good run. Yeah, I'll see you later. Don't engage because they're holding you back. Yeah. Like, yep. you know, they may need some help and it it is about being aware of, you know, if someone fell over and broke their leg and, you know, I'd be like, oh, God, like, can I help? And sacrifice if it was really bad and I was the only one there. But generally, you know what? 
well, it's a selfish sport. Yeah. We're out there to reach a goal. And by if you said, oh, well, I had to stop and help someone put their shoe on and you beat, and you didn't get your time because of that one minute, well, did you really need to help that person with their yeah. shoe on? Like, you could just run past and go, is everything okay? That's what There's I, a guy coming not that's later. That's what I do. Like, you know, is everything okay? Yeah, good. Okay. You know, Back I'm still it, yeah. sort of aware and, and but, you know, we're, we're doing this for ourselves. Yeah. We're only accountable to ourselves. Couldn't agree more. Mm. Um. I really, again, appreciate your time for today. I think it's been, well, for me anyway, I hope someone else has gotten out of uh, something out of this, and I'm sure they have. Um, we've got a heap of questions that kind of came through, but the overriding one basically was, and I won't kind of go into it because I think it's, like, there's just going to be repetition, and we kind of, well, I showed you these before, so you kind of already yeah. know where we're going to, but the overriding question that was coming through, I get asked myself, and I'm sure you get asked plenty as well, is how do you get in enough protein as a vegan athlete, vegan, person, plant-based person, whatever it might be, but how do you get enough protein in living a planted-based yeah. life? Like, what's yeah. the what's the go-to protein source? So, for me, go-to protein in, like, I guess the soy world is tofu and tempeh. So, tempeh has uh, definitely more uh, protein than tofu because it's in its natural, rawest form. And then I'll have lentils, black beans... Um, but basically, yeah, so I guess for me, the way I construct a meal is the three macronutrients, protein, carbs, fat. And I've always got to have a protein source. And whether that offers five grams of protein or 18 grams of protein, it's still got protein because I put it back to anyone. You show me anyone in Australia around the, okay, more so in Australia, in a, in a Western society, if anyone's had a protein deficiency. I don't believe many people have. So it's this kind of, oh, we've got to stamp out that this this big focus on where do I get my protein? It's like, well, I'm not deficient. Um, So if if I did have a deficiency, then sure, I'd be really worried that maybe a vegan diet didn't suit me. But um, I'm very conscious that every meal has to have some sort of protein source and as i said whether that comes from a soy protein whether it comes from beans legumes kale iron uh kale spinach so yeah i've just got to have lots of green vegetables handful of nuts a handful of beans and maybe a tofu steak and i'm covered in all good yeah um, the other question that kind of overriding one was, what's a kind of quick go-to meal? Oh, uh, so for, yeah, so I think I said it um, earlier, it is steamed brown rice, sautéed greens, um, fried tofu, and a homemade peanut uh, satay sauce, which is just purely peanut butter, tamari, water, onion, and I think that's probably about it. So if you're kind of late home from work yep. or a big day out, just like, I can't think, that's kind of... Yeah. That's yeah, an easy and if I'm really sort of being all like, oh, what can I have? I'll just blend up some herbs, whether that be parsley or dill, blend it up, make a pesto, add that in with pasta, and you know, throw in some sauteed kale, and there's there's dinner. Golden. Yeah. Perfect. So it's all everything. Well, I don't. Yeah, I, I I've got a busy lifestyle. I don't have time to elaborate meals, so they've got to be quick. Yep. Well, you know. I think that's everyone. Like, I mean, we're all time poor these days. I and mean, argue that not necessarily everyone is, and they're probably <laughs> wasting a lot of their time. But look, everyone believes they are time poor, and I certainly know yeah. you are. You've got a lot of things yeah. going on. Um, and so I think that's good that, you know, you've given a couple of uh, ideas of, and I think that can work for both worlds, you know, whether it's, you know, as you said, the Dylan um, parsley yeah. is a thing, but a pesto pasta can be done like yeah. that two minutes. Like, you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Um, instead of, as you said, going to the fish and chip shop yeah, or something like that. Your, so. so it's perception of your time. So, you know, I can sit and do Uber Eats, wait 20 minutes for my meal to come, or I can cook up pasta that takes eight minutes or five minutes, throw in, you know, a pesto, even if it's bought from the shop, that is fine. Like if you don't blend it yourself and you've got it done in 10. Yeah. So, yeah, how we perceive effort. Yeah. And that's, that's across the board. 
Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, so I'll turn. This is now gone. That's all right. Um, I'm just turning off the Instagram live here, guys. Um, I've got a. What do we say? Let's just save that. Um, I've got a quick fire five. Okay, so it's five questions I like to ask my guests. <laughs> just the first kind of response that comes right. to your head. Um, a couple I have to kind of describe a little bit longer. It's not just a uh, yep. kind of thing. So bear with me. But yep. five questions. Beach or snow? Mountains? <laughs> uh, snow. Oh, I don't know. Oh, if it's a holiday, beach or snow? Beach. Beach. Um, would you rather go, if you wouldn't affect anything, would you rather go future or past? Future. Future. Can I just elaborate why? Because, yeah, I think we can't dwell on the past. It's the future. How far so would you go into it? Oh, I'd... I'd I don't know. I can't, you know, I do a lot of work on mental side. I, I sort of know my past, which is, that's another podcast. Um, but, yeah, I'd just like to see myself as a beautiful floating mass in the in the universe. I like it. Um, if it contained all of the nutrients and everything that you needed, it wouldn't, you know, be bad for you in any single way, what's the one food that you would have for the rest of your life if you could only eat that one thing? Kale and salt. Kale and salt. Yeah. Strange. All right. <laughs> um, number four, a family, friend, famous, dead or alive, who would you have for dinner tonight if you could have them there now? Oh, um, probably Rich Roll. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. He's an incredible human. Yeah. Being. If anyone has not listened to any of his podcasts, I highly suggest because, yeah. Yeah, he's it's got... kind of cliche in the endurance world as well, but. Um, and I his book, Running a, Ultra. Yeah, I just think a fascinating mindset with knowledge of so many people that he's interviewed, which, you know, he kind of, he's covered a whole lot of people from, yeah. So all I think to life, extract yeah. all of his information would be pretty sweet. Very cool. Um, bar kind of obviously you would, everyone would always say, I go and spend time with family. You've done that. You've got one week left of your life. You personally go real selfish. What would you do with that last week? I would go find the highest mountain, climb that for a week, week and camp up the top. Beautiful response. And just look at, uh, yeah, realise that I'm pretty insignificant in this world. Very good response. Um, <laughs> on that, there is, and I don't know if you've seen it, but um, I did Everest Base Camp, I don't know, it was 2014, I think. There's now a 45-kilometre marathon from Base Camp that runs back down to Lukla Airport. And I was there when that, I was hiking and trekking through that and I saw them coming down and just like, we were probably 18 days into the trek at that point. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and I didn't know if I was hallucinating, but there was a guy just with a beanie on. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, running thermals and things like that. Just come, I'm like, that's what? a runner. <laughs> but... Would you ever kind of like to do something like yeah, that? Yeah, I like snow that much. Yeah. No, <coughs> I probably would, given the opportunity. I think the hardest thing about all of this is financial. Like, yep. this is an expensive sport. When you go into all of this real endurance, whether it be... Yeah, I thought running was going to be the cheapest sport. But you know what? You, you start looking at all these amazing places to go. So given that if someone said, if you can train for that, without a doubt, I'd do it. Because awesome. you learn so much about yourself. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, again, Amanda, thank you so much for Excellent. your time. Um, as I said, all of Amanda's details will be in the show notes below. So if you want to go and check out her website, is it plantedlife.com? It is. Plant yep. yep. Um, her website, uh, sorry, her Instagram page, which is plantedlife. Plantedlife um, AU. AU. Yep. Um, is there a Facebook page or anything there like that as well? There is, just, yep. yeah, Planted Life AU. Same yep. one. So it's pretty much Planted Life um, across the board. So go and check her out. She's got a, a host of information on your mm. Instagram page, which is really useful if you're looking at kind of transitioning into Planted Life because you post a lot of foods and things do. that you're doing. Yep. So lots of information there. Guys, if you found anything uh, whatsoever useful on this, send me a photo. Tell me what you found useful. <coughs> I'm dying here. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. But that's our show for today. I'll see. <laughs> this is I'll really wind good. it up here. Adam says, <coughs> see you later. Start late. We'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. <laughs>